ultimately, if you're an employer and you're on the hook for all COVID related bills, I mean, I would be mortified. You know, it's code green or code red. There's such a disconnect, mm -hmm. Michael, between your leadership and then the folks in the RCM department, the people that actually bill and collect. In many instances, their compensation is tied to a percentage of charges. So they're going to be running the mill. So, you know, if my compensation is tied to collecting a percentage of charges, I guarantee you that, you know, I'm going to be pushing the envelope, however you construe that to be. Welcome to the Solving Healthcare Podcast. Today, our guests are Doug Aldine and Al Lewis. With he and Al Lewis, Al is a consummate geek and also a consummate defender of fairness in the industry. His company is Quizify. And between the three of us, we're going to talk about something very important. And these are either uh, unintended consequences of the CARES Act, but definitely the emphasis needs to be on what you need to do as an employer to protect yourself from unnecessary billing, uh, surprise billing, and also what you can do to help your employees uh, help themselves. And by them helping themselves helps you as well. The way I would describe both of you, now mind you, Doug, I'm taking a leap here, but when I think of Al, I think of a healthcare zealot who's curiously minded, but his company helps educate employees in non-traditional ways so they can have like immediate impact with relevant information. And so I kind of call him affectionately a geek, right? I'm yeah. a person myself and I use that as a term of endearment. But when I, when I think of how you've affected me, Doug, I think that you're also as well a zealot. Appreciate that. Thank you. No, but you're passionate about what you do. I mean, not, oh, I, I, yes. you're an attorney. You've been an attorney for almost 30 years, but it's pretty clear that you fight not just for the little guy, but the employers, but you also fight for fairness and what's oh, yes. reasonable and fair in the community. And so understanding that, I think that dovetails into what we're talking about today, because I've done a few podcast episodes specifically about some things that employers need to be really mindful of as it pertains to COVID, either because they're running low on cash or they could be running low on cash or hospitals as well. They could be running low on cash or the whole system itself is in major flux to put it nicely. Yes. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, Doug, given that background on you is you help employers for defense of balance billing and what other purview in terms of your legal precedents do you do to help? So, you know, I do a lot of work with the reference-based pricing companies. So a lot of the out-of-network negotiations for AMs like Six Degrees, okay. ELAP a little bit, but you've got that, but I do a ton of direct contracting. And so just to give an example, like now that we're intra-pandemic, a lot of these hospitals are screaming for cash, okay? Oh, yeah. And so, you know, you can take, you know, an existing five, six, seven million dollar outstanding balance of claims. So they're all, you know, in charges. Maybe the plan is paid if you want to use a person. I'm actually doing one with HDM right now, say 38% of charges, which is 180% of Medicare. But rolling it into a direct contract, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, at something at 225%. Now that might be a little bit high, you're paying a little bit of juice, but the idea is you're taking this existing block of claims where they've only been able to identify, let's just call it 9%, okay? 9% of the outstanding charges. So there's a consortium of employers in this particular area, and we've got all the claims data. We, have, quote, have the list, and it's like a game of Texas Hold'em out. You know, Atrium says, well, show me the list. I'm like, well, no, I mean, we'll show you the list and gladly pay you a fair price, but the privilege is a direct contract at a very fair level of reimbursement. 
I mean, given your background, then uh, what I'm curious to know is since you have a phenomenal perspective of working with employers, working with hospitals, direct contracting, but also seeing the worst side of what we do or what happens within healthcare, and that is the dreaded balance billing. Yes. You've got a great perspective. And so this CARES Act, as it's presented, I think is well intended, but its interpretation is where some problems could occur. And so where, where do you think from an employer perspective, they should be wary of what's either not in the details or what could happen as a result of interpretation. You know, we were talking about this earlier this past week. I mean, you know, when you start looking at the HHS mm-hmm. determination, I mean, is every case going to be a potential COVID case? I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, you show up with a fever. I mean, could you have COVID? Possibly, yes, but it could be lots of different things. I mean, so, you know, in one way, you're prevented from balance billing if it's, quote, you know, ultimately a COVID-related case. Now, I don't know how long it takes to make that determination or what the testing is, Al. I mean, is that something that happens quickly? I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. So here's the skinny. It can happen quickly, but you can test negative and still have COVID. Like 30% of all people with COVID test negative. Okay. So people will code COVID. I guess my perspective is there's a lot that could go wrong, but you also... At the intent from the hospital perspective, how many are at the wheel, like a Mr. Burns, trying to see how much they can get away with versus how many are going to try to do a reasonable interpretation and provide a, a fair submission? Uh, I'm jaded. I know a lot of these folks, I mean, think about this. I mean, you're gonna, there's such a disconnect, mm-hmm. Michael, between your leadership and then the folks in the RCM department, the people that actually bill and collect. In many instances, their compensation is tied to a percentage of charges. So they're going to be running the mill. So, you know, if my compensation is tied to collecting a percentage of charges, I guarantee you that, you know, I'm going to be pushing the envelope, however you construe that to be. No, that's fair. And actually, I think that's what employers need to hear. Because when I talk to folks that are perfectly comfortable with inside their fully insured or self-insured environment with fill-in-the-blank carrier, they think that they're in this cocoon of protection because they're partnered with a giant carrier. And what they don't realize is that, it can be further from the truth. And so having your perspective of defending employers, defending individuals, but also working with hospitals, that's a very important point to note is that you've got a lot of opportunity where hospitals are looking for opportunities to improve their revenue based on how their people are compensated. Is, is that that's a fair correct? Point? From that perspective, employers that are in that basis of in that cocoon, they need to wake up and they need to they say- They need to wake Yeah. Yes. If you're not paying attention to it, you are doing such a disservice. I guess from that perspective, Doug, give us some insights as to what you see uh, about the intent from hospital systems. I think hospital systems, I mean, they're, they're anything but not for profit. I mean, that's just a name only. I mean, it's, it's a legal fiction in, in my humble yeah, view. Totally agree. Very profitable organizations in certain parts of the world. I mean, in fact, you go back to my hometown of Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, I mean, Carl at one point, was the seventh most profitable health system in the country wow. in a town of 140,000 people, 40 of which are students. Wow. I mean, so Champaign-Urbana, Gunderson, which is where lacrosse is, I mean, all geographic monopolies, but very profitable organizations. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately, if you're an employer and you're on the hook for all COVID-related bills, I mean, I would be mortified. You know, it's code green or code red. And Al, what's your perspective, bud? Well, as in any sort of industry with this many providers, there are going to be some, you know, some good actors and some bad actors. And mm-hmm. I 
tend to agree with Doug, at least directionally, that the majority are going to be bad actors. Now, having said that, there are some hospitals, and in my case, uh, you know, I'm on the board of a big provider system up here. It's not hospitals, but we do like 800,000 doctor visits a year, and we're completely mission-driven, and it never, ever would have occurred to the CEO to try to make an extra buck on this thing. In fact, just the opposite. You know, they're, they're doing a lot of pro bono stuff. And I, I mean legitimate pro bono, not the way a hospital does does pro bono. But where I see these bad actors happening is if you get a diagnosis and it's on the line between being uh, COVID-related and something else, and they know full well that if it's COVID, it's going to just slide right through and get paid because the patient's not going to have a share, they're going to do it. In fact, because the patient doesn't have a share, there's no concern that someone's going to ring a bell. And the analogy that I give, and in fact, I'm writing a blog post on this exact topic, is I've got a little picture. Remember the movie E.T. when E.T. hid in the closet with all the other stuffed animals? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's basically what they're doing is that they're slipping it through. They're knowing that the patient's not going to complain to the HR department. And the other thing they know is because health expenses are so far down this year, the HR department's not going to be scrutinizing these things. I would agree with that. Absolutely, Al. I mean, so you think about it. I mean, it really is, you know, it's, a, it's an ATM machine. It's a license to print money. Yeah. I mean, if you're an insurance carrier, you know, particularly if it's fully insured, I mean, it's going to get paid. When I saw an article a couple of weeks ago, and it was about hospitals needing cash and insurance companies having it. I'm not sure if you guys saw it as well, mm -hmm. but essentially yes. saying to the extent that there's going to be so many elective surgeries that won't happen that the hospital system or any business needs cash. They need oxygen for their business. And so to me, it, it seems that this is a ripe opportunity for hospitals, creative or, or whatnot, to take advantage of a situation. And I, I say that, and I don't, I don't mean to imply take advantage, but you all know what I mean, right? It's Oh, oh you can imply, you can say, yes. you can, yeah, <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> so I guess with that in mind, guys, is implications for an employer is that if they're not mining the store, they could absolutely be losing cash that otherwise they need to run their business. Fair? Well, without a doubt. And they absolutely are. And the total health expense is going down. So they're not going to notice this stuff. And the more hospitals figure out, they're not going to notice it. The more they're going to build them. And I was doing a conversation similar to this with uh, Jim Napoli, who's a CEO of a company called Medliminal. And I asked him a question expecting it to be lower than it was about how many hospital bills contain billing errors. And I was expecting him to say like 90%. He said almost every one of them has some type of billing error associated with it. And I'm not sure, Doug, if you see that, it's pretty normal. I, I would agree with that 100%. I mean, whether it's coding, I mean, just on its face, there can be errors, duplicative services, all of it, without even drilling down into you know medical necessity or anything like that. So let me ask from, from your perspectives, understanding that it could be a sitting time bomb. It could, who knows what it could be, right? But what are some things that, that Doug, you would suggest an employer do to prepare themselves and have some type of process or plan in place? Boy, I'm going to let Al answer that question first, and then I'll, I'll kind of supplement that. That's all right, Al. Yeah, no, that that's good. Now, Doug, Doug and I, one of the reasons I recommended him for this, besides the fact that I think he knows more than anybody, is what he does is complementary to what I do. So he's contracting, and also, Doug, 
I believe you're also involved in trying to go back after the fact and wheedle down high bills, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A ton of that. So what I'm doing is I'm trying to help employers equip their employees with these little, we call them prevent consent cards, that when you go to the ER for any reason, you put the card down and you sign it, and they, they either accept it or they don't. Well, they have to treat you anyway. Now, the card says, I blank name, uh, consent to appropriate treatment, to your point and Doug's point about all the inappropriate things that get billed for, and to be responsible for reasonable charges not covered by insurance up to two times the Medicare rate with disputes to be settled by binding arbitration. That part's optional. Mm -hmm. So when you go into the ER, they have to treat you. It's federal law. Even if they say, I don't consent to your payment. And it has been noted, most famously by Marty McCary, who kind of inspired me for these cards, that you don't have to consent, and then you can argue about it later and maybe, you know, call in Doug or somebody like Doug and their entire organizations that, you know, negotiate these things after the fact. But what I'm saying is, why don't you go in with a counteroffer now up front, which is this two times Medicare card. Now, if they take it, well, that settles it. And we, I now have four stories of which two were publicly stated, one in the New York Times and one on LinkedIn by uh, Rachel Kleiner, of how, in fact, it was accepted. And, and in the case of Rachel, the ER person looked at it and said, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> you know, this is the ER person. Wow. Saying, I didn't uh, see yeah. that one. That's great. Yeah. So they accept it, which means that that's what the bill is. Now, they could reject it. And they say, look, we'll treat it and we'll figure it out later. Now, unlike in the situation in Marty's book, where it's kind of a he said, she said, and then you argue about it, you go into a court and you say, I was perfectly willing to commit to two times Medicare prices. Mm-hmm. And they said, no. Well, they can say, well, we usually charge five times Medicare. And the judge could say, what? Now, maybe the judge might rule for the hospital, but here's why these things will never make it to court. In fact, I will, I will bet any amount. Well, actually, I used to bet any amount of money, but now I don't you know, feel prosperous anymore. So I'll bet any, <laughs> you know, any three-figure amount of money that these will never get to court because somebody at the hospital is going to say, whoa, if this goes to court and we lose, as we very well may, that creates a precedent. And not only does it create a precedent, but you can bet that's going to get in all the local media and suddenly everybody's going to be coming in with these cards. Yeah, that's your market rate. Yeah. You just had a market where the court said this is the market rate. You know, exactly. you can't get more of a market rate than that. Yeah, but also, I don't know if you guys saw the Kaiser Family Research the publication that they looked at average commercial reimbursement versus Medicare. And on average, it was about double. Now, when you look at Inpatient versus outpatient. Outpatient was about two and a half times Medicare on average, and inpatient was a little bit less than double. But there is additional insight and additional information as well as to what a market rate would be. Now, do I think that's fair? Absolutely not. I think it's crazy that we would have a healthier population essentially paying double for the same service at any hospital system. To me, that's asinine. I did see that. I actually, the, the double is a combination. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, different. It, the thing where these surprise bills get you is these out-of-network organizations that are owned disproportionately by PE companies. And, and by the way, Doug, you've probably noticed this because it's especially true in Texas. Yeah. Uh, disproportionately, you can bet. They, I, I know. I mean, I'm in one of these PE companies. I'm a limited partner. I, you know, I spend 364 days a year railing against these things. And then one day a year, I go to their annual meeting and hear how well 
all these, you know, out of network groups that they have are doing. So those are much more than two times Medicare. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, that, that's a national average, right? So you have the yeah. good players with the not so good in there. So Doug, I'm curious from your perspective now that Al's answer was pretty much for emergency room visits where Mtala applies. Mm-hmm. And for everything else. Uh, actually, may I just interrupt you just a second? Oh, keep going. Mtala is emergency room, emergency deliveries, emergency admissions, and emergency transfers. So these days, meaning this temporary period, it's probably about 70% of all stuff in the hospital, maybe even 80%. If somebody has COVID or they're not sure, most likely they're walking through the emergency room doors is what you're saying. Uh, yeah, or yeah. I mean, as, as we were just talking about, very few elective admissions are taking place, right? Yeah, oh, understood, totally. And so Al, what you're, what you're prescribing is for employers to create a plan for their employees. And in this case, having something on your ID card, something that's permanent that basically says, hey, look, I'm, I'm consenting for you to treat me. I'm not consenting to all the financial implications that you make me sign. I'm going to cross that out and I'm going to say, I'm going to be responsible for reasonable charges up to two times Medicare. That Exactly. And that's the operative term is reasonable charges yeah. because, yeah. And so when you educate your employee workforce like that, I mean, you get them engaged as opposed to being asleep at the wheel. And that's a great first step. So, you know, your, your, your son is in the ER, he broke his leg. You're thinking about, you know, a little bit of the downstream effect. Like there's no way in God's green earth I'm going to pay $42,000 for the two CAD scans and the MRI. And the reason I like Al's approach is because, I mean, you know, there's an outside chance they're going to accept it and you're done and everybody walks away happy and you don't hear anything of it. If it doesn't work out, I mean, they're only going to be able to collect where it's reasonable. But you're again, you're going to have to argue about that after the fact. and you know, with collection agencies and all the different things that go on, it just, it wears people down. And the other thing, Doug, just to add to what you said, you've also signed something that says you agree to it, which that's true. Yeah. But Doug, from your perspective, as an attorney, how does having something like that in place where you essentially have that on your ID card and you've set a precedent within the hospital system and they've accepted it, they've treated you. Now you get a hold of this information as Mm -hmm. they're helping the employer or the individual? How does that help you help the employer? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, you know, in essence, you've already agreed to a price for services. So there's a market rate for everything in this country. And I just, you just make the position that if, you know, if Al's kid broke his leg, my kid broke his leg, whatever it may be, but you're setting a precedent in terms of what that market for services is. If they're willing to accept two times Medicare for this, why wouldn't they accept two times Medicare for that? Mm-hmm. For the hospital systems, I mean, you're just going down a slippery slope. But I guess what I'm hearing you say is that gives you leverage where if you oh, yeah. went off on that paperwork and saying, hey, sue me for everything, not that you can't help an individual, but you don't have as much leverage. You know, but here's the legal term, Michael, you've mm-hmm. got a counter offer walking in the door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so yeah, so you're setting it up already. I mean, that's the perfect way to set it up. That was what I brought to the table. I always like to give credit where credit is due because, you know, you, you eat, sleep, and drink RBP, reference-based pricing, Doug. Yeah. I had never heard of it until I met David Contorno and, and Marilyn Bartlett. So they taught me about reference-based pricing. I thought, okay, this is cool. It's not really my business. Mine's more about employee education and stuff. And then, you know, knowing Marty pretty well and reading his book and talking to him, he taught me about battlefield consents. I had never heard of EMTALA, the Emergency yeah. Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act. So I had no idea about that. 
my value add was to take Marty's chocolate and David and Marilyn's peanut butter and put it together into this one little card. Yeah. Listen, it is fantastic. I don't know how you get paid for it out, but I think it's great. And I think it's a great. <laughs> Nor <market>. do I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least I'm taking a percentage of savings, right? It sets things up very nicely. Well, and also in terms of just having an overall payment integrity plan, this is a part of it, right? And as I'm piecing together solutions for employers, I'm sure you guys are doing the same. It's understanding you can't just blindly trust your third-party administrator. As a fiduciary, you do have to take some ownership in the health of your plan, the health of your individuals, and the vitality of the cash that these companies have access to. And I'm hearing you guys say that as well, and that you have to be active in the defense of the revenue of your company and the plan that you offer to your employees. Absolutely. So anything else, Doug? I mean, from from your perspective, what other suggestions might you have for employers? What people kind of skirt around a little bit is looking at the financial assistance policies. So you could have somebody, let's just say I represent some manufacturers up in the northern Chicago area. Everybody's making between say forty and sixty-five thousand dollars. You're gonna qualify for a significant right off the bat. So you know, you could have adopt a reference-based pricing plan, run everybody through the mm-hmm. financial assistance, and then, you know, whatever the difference is. Because, I mean, what I'm seeing up in that neck of the woods is it's about 234% of Medicare. Wow. So, yeah. You know, they're charging, let's say, it's 600. You write off half of it. You get right down to 250, maybe a little bit more some patient responsibility. And it seems to be working pretty well. So, you know, if you, if you really look at those financial assistance policies at your local facility, there might be some, you know, pleasant surprises in there. There's also some things that are not so pleasant, but it's definitely worth checking out. So Doug, let me ask you, if you have if somebody, an employer listening to this, either not knowing, or maybe they're being handed a bill through their normal cash process that they just don't know what to do. If somebody is seeing their cash evaporate and they think yes. because of something just screwy within the billing process. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give them? Well, you're going you're to have to have those bills reviewed. And, you, and there's a lot of reputable folks who do medical bill reviews, mm-hmm. very good at it. And those, honestly, are the easiest to resolve. Because when you're looking at, I mean, coding, clinical, all those things that are on the face incorrect, I mean, those, I mean, honestly, get the attention of the facilities. Nine times out of 10, they're willing to work them out. It's the pricing issues is where you have the real big fights. When would somebody reach out to you? Honestly, anytime. And I can put them in touch with you know a lot of reputable folks, but they can call me, email me anytime. All right. How do people get a hold of you? Doug at health-attorney.net. So just you can email me anytime. Or I'm on LinkedIn. My wife actually put me on Twitter, so I'm actually tweeting now. Nice. All right, guys. Anything else that we should have addressed that we didn't talk about? The one that's front and center is this one. And the thing about it is that you need to give your employees some kind of incentive because right now they're not going to get charged at all. Of course, they don't know that when they go to the emergency room yeah. for COVID. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing you say, Al, is that for you, COVID-19 isn't necessarily creating anything that's not already broken in the healthcare system. It just could exacerbate it. It just takes the one check and balance on surprise bills, which is employees whining to the benefits department out of the picture. 
Thank you for listening to the Solving Healthcare podcast. If some of this has struck a nerve with you or you want to learn about more about what you can do to create a payment integrity process to keep your hard-earned money but also help your employees help themselves, feel free to reach out to me. I can be reached at mike at solvinghealthcare.net. You can also call me on my mobile phone. That number is 832-236-8966. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you.